This is the uh, second year in a row that uh, Owen has asked me to preach uh, on the night of Game 7. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know if last year that worked out well for his team, and so he's trying it again. Um, but we'll, we'll see if the Astros uh, pull it out after we're done. So I'll try to be as brief as possible. Um, so uh, if you want to, you're welcome to open up to Psalm uh, 119. Um, don't panic. We, we're not going to hit all the verses, <laughs> but you're welcome to turn there. Um, as, as many of you know, yesterday marked a, uh, a pretty unique day in history. Yesterday was a big day. It was the 500-year anniversary of what uh, most would claim and say to be um, the event that kicked off, that spurred uh, the Protestant Reformation. A German monk began to read uh, the scriptures began to study and see that, that what he read and what he found did not line up with what he saw in the church. And so in an effort to save his brothers and, and to reform the church, he, he posted his 95 thesis. And unknowingly to him, it, it was distributed everywhere and, and really lit a fire that, that he didn't know he would light, but certainly um, a torch that he carried and there are a lot of reasons why uh, that, that Reformation started. There are a lot of things that you could point to that um, he disagreed with, that he saw. You could talk about indulgences. You could talk about papal authority. Um, you could talk about the, the Lord's Supper and communion and, and what role it plays. But truly, at the center, what really mattered in that, in that time, in that conflict that he saw, was one central theme, and that was the authority of Scripture where it stands versus the authority of tradition and the, the authority of the church and church leadership. And, and what he saw was that there is only one authority that guides us, um, and that is God through his word. And so um, tonight we're going to look at a, a chapter um, from, from way up high. We're, gonna, we're just going to fly through it, but um, a chapter that draws our attention to the authority of the word that draws our, our passions and our desires um, towards it uh, in a way that I think Martin Luther uh, intended. I was reading a uh, blog recently of a man who's been traveling around to different areas of um, spiritual significance, if you will, places in history that have uh, been important to the Christian church. And um, he said at one point he found himself in Switzerland, in Zurich, and uh, he, he stumbled upon a church, he and his friend, and they didn't actually know anything about it. They just wanted to check it out. Um, and as they walked up, the sign was, was so old they couldn't, couldn't read it, didn't know what it said. So he said, honestly, as we walked in, we didn't know if it was a Catholic church. We didn't know if it was a Protestant church. And he said, um, his, his way of finding out, he said, you know what I'll do? I'll walk to the front and see what's there. And he walks to the front, and he sees something simple, and that is uh, a pulpit and an open Bible. And he said, there I knew it was a Protestant church, and hopefully that is, the, um, that is the feel and the desire that we have for our lives and for our churches, that at the center what leads it is an open Bible. And so, um, like I said, we're going to look at Psalm 119, and uh, this is a really, really unique chapter. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's longer than uh, so even some books, um, and as, you'll, as you look at yours, most of your uh, translations or your, your Bibles are going to have it separated into sections. There are 22 sections, and Owen wouldn't give me 22 sermons to cover this, 
So uh, we had to take a different path. But there are 22 sections and a word at the top of each section that unless you know Hebrew, you probably don't know what it says. Um, but those are uh, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And essentially each section, each verse of each section begins with that letter. So if this were written in English, there would be 26 sections and the first Ver, excuse me, the first letter of each verse of the first section would be A, the next section would be B, and so on and, and, and so forth. Um, all of that to say, clearly a lot of care and a lot of focus was put into the writing of this passage. Um, and that is going to speak of the author. We don't know who the author is, um, but we can learn a lot about him. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at him, look at the writer of this passage as a uh, somewhat of a model for how we uh, can view Scripture. And so just to get an idea, we're going to read through the first section um, and then see what are some things that we can pull out from this chapter about this man. Verse 1 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. So we can learn a lot about this author. And right from the beginning, and of course throughout the chapter, we see that he is someone who holds the word in great regard. In fact, he cherishes it. He uses uh, all kinds of different language to describe his love, his treasuring, his delight in the Lord. I'm going to jump around a little bit, so don't worry about keeping up. But verse 14 says, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. Verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. 127, therefore, I love your commandments. 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Above gold, above fine gold. And on and on and on he goes in this way about how he feels about this passage. He was so overwhelmed by how much he loved and treasured the word, how much he loved the Torah, that he spent days and hours and hours formulating how he was going to write this, structuring it out in this way and in this, this pattern that clearly uh, this is something he cares about. And he knew that merely a few sentences was, was just not going to do it justice. And so for, for us tonight, what I want us to ask ourselves is, how many things get this kind of attention from us? Does the Word get this kind of attention from us? Does it get this kind of priority in our life? And we can see that as evidenced in, in how we act and how we treat and how much time we spend on the Word. How many things in our life get priority over our time in reading and studying the Word? Oddly enough, uh, I found some wisdom in a place I, I didn't expect, but in, a, in an article I read once about Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, before, he, before he passed away, he was having a conversation with a reporter, and, and actually they were just talking, it wasn't an interview, and he asked the reporter, he, he said, you have children? And the reporter answered, no, you know, my, my wife and I, we, we haven't made time for kids yet, our, our careers are taken off, and, you know, begin to give all these answers and reasons, and he stopped him, he said, no, 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 you don't understand. 
You don't make time for kids. You make time for those other things that you're talking about. You make time for the lesser things. And what he was basically saying is that when something is truly your priority, something is as important as it should be, you don't have to make time for it. It happens. It's, it's going to be there. You make time for other things. You make time for the lesser things in your life. And, and that can be applied uh, to our, our spiritual walk for our love for the word. We don't make time for it. It is something that demands our time, that should already have it. We make time for the other things if we have a chance. And so my call to us would be, how, how can we learn to truly love and prioritize the word in the way that um, this, this author has? So, so taking stock of, of our approach to it and asking, do I, do I not just read it, but do I love it? Do I treasure it in this way? And of course, that leads us to the next logical question that we would ask, and that is the question of why. why. Why would I care so much about this book? Why would I care so much about the words that are in it? Why would he go to an extreme like this to, to explain his devotion for it? Well, he gives us that answer, and that answer is that he, he delights in the word because he knows that God is the source and the subject of it. Verse 57 says, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. 111 says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. 156 says, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. See, he doesn't simply love the word because they're really well written or they sound really good, not because they have interesting details. He loves them because they are from and about God. He says the Lord is his portion, and he practices that in his obedience to the word and keeping his words. See, these, are, these, these aren't stories. They're not testimonies of the Israelites. right? We just got done studying Joshua 6. We don't, we don't read that story and say, man, Joshua was a really good military strategist. Like, how did he know that the sound waves would, would tear down the walls, right? That's not how we look at that passage. We look at it and we see God granting victory for his name's sake, for his own glory in a way that only he gets credit. And so what we need to be mindful of is that there are some, there are some flawed ways to, to approach Scripture. There, there are some flawed ways that we can read that, that send us in a direction that it doesn't intend. And one of those is that thinking that the Bible is about knowledge, that the Bible is about growing in knowledge. As, as odd as it may sound, there's, there's a way to make the Bible an idol in place of God. And this happens when our goal becomes to learn more about the Bible for the sake of the Bible. If your goal is to only know more about Scripture, you've missed the point. The goal is to know more about God. The goal is to know more about the originator of the scripture. The Bible is a means to know God. That's no small thing. I'm not downplaying scripture. Obviously, we're, we're talking about its value, but it's important to know that its value only comes from what it talks about, and that is God. And so if we're not careful, we can find ourselves much more concerned with the words that are in it than, than the word and the originator of that word. We should cling to it, yes, but only because it keeps us clinging to him. 
And that, that changes the way you approach the word. That changes the way you read it. You don't just come at it with your head in an intellectual sense, but you also come at it with your heart, with, with the purpose of building a relationship, of learning more about who God is. And John 5, 39 and 40 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What matters about the scriptures is who they point to, that being God, that being Christ. In this passage, there are at least 135 references using some synonym for the Torah. He uses law, covenant, word, rules, whatever he may use. And almost every single time, he uses, he uses a phrase that, is, that ties it to God. He, he, he very rarely, if never, says the law, the rules. He always is intentional and careful about saying your law and your rules. He understands something that is extremely important, and that's the value of the word is only as powerful as its original author. God is not only the source of the word, but he is also the subject. And so we need to, we need to approach it with that. Here in a, in a couple weeks, I'll have another chance to come back, and we will, we will talk about how we can practically grow and in our appreciation for the word, and we'll get more into the details of that. But Owen mentioned a few weeks ago um, one potential example for how to do that, and that's to ask four questions of, of a passage of Scripture. He said, well, the first question being, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about people? What does it teach us about the relationship between God and people? And four, how should I respond with my head, heart, and hands? All incredibly important questions. But there is, there is, again, another potential flaw that we can have, and that comes from skipping over one of those questions and thinking that the Bible is about me. It's not only not about just knowledge and, and head knowledge and growing in that way, but it's also not about us. In this case, it's skipping over that first question and getting, getting right to these questions of, what does this passage say about me? How does it affect me? Who am I in the story and, and if we're really honest with ourselves, we're really even skipping to the question of, how does this benefit me? How does this make my life better, easier, more fulfilling? And certainly, those are good questions to ask at certain times, but not if you haven't first addressed the first question. That is by far the most important question, is what does this say about God? Can you imagine if you were, you know, you're on a first date, and you're sitting with your date, and you begin to, you know, you're talking back and forth things about yourself, and they begin to talk about their interests. And they begin to talk about their interests, say, for example, in, in art, and they're talking about what kind of art they like and why they like it. And you just interrupt them and say, you know what, I hate art. Let's talk about football. Right? <laughs> I mean, nobody, no, hopefully, nobody in here would do that. Uh, or if they start to talk about their job and what they do for a living, um, and, and why they like to do that. You interrupt them and they say, yeah, but can you cook? <laughs> do, you, do you clean? How much money do you make? Right? You begin to ask those questions. None of us would do that because we understand that's, that's missing the point. You're not interested in learning about the other person. You're interested in how they can benefit you. It's selfish. But that's exactly what we're guilty of when we read a passage of Scripture and we skip straight to the question of how does this benefit me? We need first to ask, what does this say about God? And so really what that causes us to ask is, why am I reading this in the first place? Is it to feel better, or is it to know a holy and infinitely beautiful God that is worthy of our pursuit? 
when we approach it in that sense. Verse 36 says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. See, its primary benefit is not to give us insight as to how to, how to live. It certainly does that. But that's not its primary purpose, is to tell us who God is. And so if you find yourself struggling with a passage, not, not seeing how it relates to you and how it, how it is involved in your life, stop and remember this, this truth. It's not about you. It's about God. And understanding that will then inform anything else that you might draw from it. lost my place that's what happened <laughs> so we see that the bible is not about knowledge the bible is is not about me another thing that we can pull from this author um, is that while we can we can all agree his his delight in the word is impressive and something to be aspired to he also knows that he has room to grow that he still needs to to learn and keep moving in his appreciation there's a, a book I read from time to time called uh, Valley of Vision. It's a, it's a collection of uh, Puritan prayers. Um, I, I use it at times of, of prayer and devotion because it's, a, it's an incredible example of what faithful prayer and devotion uh, looks like. And it lays out a model for me. And, and let me read you just a short excerpt from one of those just so you kind of get an idea and prepare for some these and thous and thys. If you can get past those, you can understand the, the point of this. But it says... O God, whose will conquers all, there is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying thee and being engaged in thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me thou makes them, and no more. I am well pleased with thy will, whatever it is, or should be in all respects. And if thou bidst me decide for myself in any affair, I would choose to refer all to thee, for thou art infinitely wise and cannot do amiss as I am in danger of doing." So you can see these are beautiful prayers. Uh, they have lots of, lots of imagery and just well-worded worship. And usually I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Um, usually that's helpful. But on, on my um, less than average days, uh, I, I sometimes am a little bit overwhelmed when I read these. Because one of the thoughts that I have is, that's not how I pray. <laughs> that's, my words don't sound that good. I don't, I don't think that deeply about God. And it's, it's, it even goes further than just a vocabulary thing. It, I begin to question, if, am, I, am I anywhere near these guys? Well, that's, that's how I feel when I read Psalm 119. Right? As you read through it and you're, you're tracking along, you're enjoying what, he, what he's saying, there's, there's a point where it hits me that this guy is, is light years away in his appreciation for the Scriptures. He only has the Torah. He, he doesn't have the full Bible that, that even that we have. So most of what he has is law. And if we're honest with ourselves, we wouldn't touch the law on a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. When, when we're trying to read the Word. And yet he's writing about it like it's a, the great love of his life. He, he is writing about it with these incredible, well-thought-out words. That's maturity. That's, that's what it looks like to be a mature believer. It's to be able to think about the Word in that sense. And so when we are... When we're bored with Scripture, when we're struggling with reading Scripture, there's, there's a problem, but that problem is not, is not the Scripture. It's with us. It's an indication that we don't, we don't truly understand the value of what we are reading. The value is there. It's, it's us who don't yet understand it. We're trying to grow in it. This author 
seems to get it. And yet, he's still crying out to God for more. And that's the beauty of our God. There is always more to be learned. And so for us, it is a sense of not being content with where we are. Don't be content with your appreciation for the word now. Grow, seek to grow, cry out to God as he does. Verses 124 and 125, he says, Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Verse 88, In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. 135 says, Make your face shine upon your servant. Teach me your statutes. It sounds like he already knows the statutes. It doesn't sound like he needs growth, and yet he knows that he does. So for us, that should be all the more encouragement to seek after growth, seek after greater appreciation for the value of his word. And because he cherishes the word in such a way, he doesn't just read it, he also keeps it. That's a, that's a vital part of understanding the word. Verse 106 says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Verse 115, depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. And, and maybe the most insightful on, on this subject, verse 100, says, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I'm sorry, that was 98 through, through 100. He draws a very clear connection between understanding the word and actually doing what it commands, doing what it says. There is no such thing as understanding the word and also not doing what it says. To, to not do what it commands us to do is to prove not understanding what it's trying to, to tell us. And we might think that we already, we already know that. That would sound like a simple thing, but it's something that's, that's dangerous and the most knowledgeable among us fall victim to. I don't know how many of you are familiar or appreciate the Babylon Bee. Um, it's a pretty incredible time waster if you, if you ever get bored. Uh, it's, a, it's a satire website. It's, it's sarcastic in, in nature. Um, um, but from time to time, even in its sarcasm, it throws a pretty strong dart. Um, and they, they had one, re well, it's not recent. I think it was posted about a year ago, but I saw it recently. And it was an, an article, like a, a fake reporting article, and it was titled, Young man carefully weighs choice between fleeting pleasure and everlasting joy. In the article, the, the fictional man is quoted as, as deliberating, on the one hand, a momentary rush, on the other, satisfaction that never ends. I'm stumped. Right? And, and the first thought for me was, of course, to chuckle because it's crazy. That's an easy thing to understand. We all, we all laugh at that, and yet we only laugh because we also know how true that is how true it is in our life, how many times we actually come face to face with that very decision and often choose poorly. It's a, it's a difficult thing for us to understand um, that we must also do what it says. I'm sorry, it's not difficult to understand, it's difficult to, to do. And the reason that we struggle in those choices and actions come primarily back to our, our lack of understanding and appreciation for the word. Paul focuses in on, in a similar way, focuses in on the Jews in, in Romans chapter 2. People that were not unlike us, who would have claimed that they had 
saving knowledge, would have claimed that they knew the word and understood it and understood its purposes, claimed to have kept it. And he warns them in verse 17, he says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor our idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. This is a harsh warning for those who would claim to know the law, but don't follow it, that don't keep its commands. Keeping the word is, is not just an indicator as to whether or not you understand it. It's a way to understand it even more. We can't expect the growth and maturity and knowledge of God to come if we're not willing to wholeheartedly commit ourselves to his, his commands. I think of the, of the child who, who won't try something new, who has decided that they don't, they don't like a piece of food whether or not they've tried it, right? Because that's the next question. Have you, have you tried it? And the answer is no. I just know that I don't like it. I'm, I'm not even going to try it. And even if you get them to try it, what's, how's it go? They're shaking their head no before it, before it even touches their lips, before they even have a chance to taste it. And yet the same could be true of us, that when, we are, when, we are, when we're wondering why we're not growing and we're confused and not seeing the, this, this maturity that we see here, the question is, have you tried the means that he has given you? Have you, have you tried to follow the word? The answer often, unfortunately, is no. With an open mind, we, we need to try to experience the things of God that he has laid out for us. Give him that chance. It is only then that we can, that we can truly grow. And the author makes a pretty unbelievable claim here. He, that because he approached the word properly, because he kept the word also, that he has grown and far surpassed his elders and his teachers. He's, he's, not, he's not criticizing older generations here, but he's warning that, that time is not an indicator of true understanding. That what, what matters most is your willingness to commit to what it says. You can spend years reading and studying the Bible, but if you, but if you do that incorrectly and you don't follow the commands without pursuing its calls to action, you won't ever grow in your understanding. So we have yet... Another, another one of these diagnostic questions, am I doing what the Word says? If I'm, if I'm feeling like I'm not growing in my appreciation for the Word, I have to ask myself the question, have I even tried it? Have I given it that chance? And so lastly, and briefly, I want to point out one more thing. There are, there are many reasons that the author is so committed to the Word. We've, we've already talked about that, and, and they're prioritized. Okay, there, there certainly can be prioritized. Knowing God is most important as that will affect everything else that comes after it. But he also has another important concern, and that is that others would know him. That others might know him, this out portion of this passage. Verse 38 says, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Verse 46, I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. 
Verse 79, let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimony. He desires for others to see and understand as he does. He is driven by this motion, this motivation, and then when he has the opportunity, he can stand in front of kings and proclaim it. That he would be a light to those who want to know him more. And again, we, we see these varying levels of why he wants them to know. Undoubtedly, he wants them to know because he has compassion on them. He knows that they are lost in their sin as he once was and wants them to be rescued from it. But more importantly, he wants more people to know him because his concern, this author's concern, is for the namesake of the Lord. Verse 136 says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Verse 158, I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. It always comes back to God and what it tells us about him. He is what the Bible is about. We study his word to know him more and to make him known. In this case, he cares so deeply for those two causes that he is brought to tears. He is mourning. He is grieving those who are not giving God the glory. Those who have given themselves to a life of self-fulfillment over actual fulfillment. He knows that they have made that exchange that does not serve the Lord, and, and he knows that it will end poorly for them. So the best way for him to help them is for him to know the word and teach it to them. So we, we have to ask, of course, always, how do we, how do we respond? We're, here we are standing in the shadow of this, of this passage, and, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to read it and say, I will never, I will never have that kind of appreciation for the word. That, that seems impossible. That bar is too high. And then to consider that even, even this author needs to grow in his appreciation for the word. But we can be encouraged. This man is a sinner. There is nothing good in him that the Lord did not do through him, that the Lord did not put in him. And we have access to that same power if only we would follow his commands. So, so the next time we we get together in a couple weeks, I have another opportunity to share with you. And we're going we're gonna to talk about some practical applications, just some helpful ways that, that we can grow in this area. But for now, uh, I, I want us to consider the application to just be self-reflection, to ask ourselves some, some serious, heavy, and, and honest questions about how we feel about the Word. Do I delight in the Word? Do I, do I cherish it? Do I treasure it? as this author does. Ask ourselves, why do I read the Bible? Do I read it to know more about God? Or, or do I read it just to grow in, in knowledge? Or do I read it for selfish reasons? Am I open to growing in my appreciation? Am I, am I able to look at myself and say, I'm not content with where I am. I want to grow. Do I keep the word? Do I observe all that is commanded in it? Have, have I even tried it? And then lastly, do I, do I share the word? Do I prepare myself so that others might see the God that is described in it? Those are not easy questions. And so I would encourage you, take, take time and ask yourself these questions. Get, get alone with the word in prayer and, and ask God to, to show you where, you where you are and where you stand. And then ultimately to, to change your heart to move you in the direction that he has called us to be in. So that is 
what I have for us tonight. Um, awkward transition. I'm going to move to something uh, a little bit different. Are they around? Or We've got some more people that are going to come by. Um, another, am I going to have to stall? Oh, okay, cool. Um, another thing about uh, tonight, whether or not you might, uh, you might know, uh, today does mark the two-year anniversary of the Nice family uh, moving here to be and serve with us. And so we just want to take very briefly uh, some time to um, honor them, tell them how much we appreciate them. It is no, no coincidence, of course, that we're, we're talking about the significance of the word. Um, we also want to honor a man who has pointed us in that direction uh, for, for two years solidly on a weekly basis and how much we appreciate him and his family <clears throat> for doing so. Forgive me. Forgive me. So, Cool. All right. Uh, that worked out smoothly. Um, so, mm-hmm. we were going to have the, cool. All right. We were going to have more people come by, but that's okay. Uh, the youth do appreciate them as well. So, uh, if I could ask, if you guys wouldn't mind coming up front here, uh, we're going to take a moment. Um, we're going to take a moment, and uh, if you'd like, you're welcome to, to stay where you are, but also, if you'd like to come up and, and pray for them, Kenny is going to come up with them as well, um, as, as part of the team that had a chance to get to know them and, and to bring them here, um, but we're just going to have a time of prayer. So if you'd like, please come up, um, gather around them, and we'll have a time of prayer before we'll be dismissed. When, um, <clears throat> when... Jeff said that they'd been here two years. Amanda looked at Owen and said, seems like 15. <laughs> no. you, you know what's funny is uh, they've been here two years now, which is only six months longer than we searched for them. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so I, I just um, uh, I want to share one quick story about when Pastor Owen was called. I, many of you have probably heard this story, but I, I just... Um, it's so humbling for us as a church, and I think we need to hear it again. Uh, as many of you know, we searched for 18 months until we called a pastor. And we had decided as a committee, and, and Bob's here and John's here, and if there are others, I'm, I'm, I don't want to leave them out. But we had decided to take a two-week break and not search for two weeks. And on that Wednesday night, Jim Lehu called me and said, James Swain from the Baptist General Convention in Oklahoma had... Uh, called with a name. And I told Jim at first that I didn't think we were going to take it because we were going to take a break, and then I thought better of it, uh, or was prompted to think better of it, and, and, uh, I, and he, I said, well, go ahead and give it to me. And so I, I got it, and I don't remember if it was that night or a, a subsequent night, I called Owen, and I remember Owen saying, well, this is coincidental, and I said, why is that? And he goes, well, we're actually driving to Oklahoma right now. And I remember right where I was when he said that, and I thought, well, maybe this is going to be really obvious to us what we're supposed to, to do here. But um, I, I just want to share one quick thing, two quick things maybe, and then we'll pray. Um, Owen is, I think, impressed us all. He's really a bright guy. And um, you know what? I think Owen knows he's a bright guy. <laughs> <laughs> But I, here, here's what I know about him, and as I've watched him. He knows he's a bright guy because he knows God has gifted him to be a bright guy that he might lead God's people. And I know the reason that our church 
is doing so well under him is because he constantly seeks God's guidance for us. And he preaches messages that are aimed at us. And I don't know if you notice it, but when we get Joshua chapter 5 and he looks out at us and says, do we want to be the generation that gets skipped over? He's carving us up with a velvet scalpel. And I love it. And I just, I just, I love what's happening. So I want to read something really fast out of Scripture that will be very familiar to all of you. And I also brought something tonight that I want to give to Owen and Amanda. Um, I don't remember if I offered this to you tonight. <coughs> this is the tally sheet of the night the church voted. Uh, I had saved it in a folder, 390 yeses and one no. And, um, and, and here's what I think about that. I think the 390 is the affirmation of uh, God and you and us, and I think the one is to keep you humble. <laughs> uh, can I just read something that I think encompasses what I think we've, we are with Owen's leadership? <clears throat> John 15, I'll just read a couple verses. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And I've watched our church grow a little bit over the last couple of years. And you know what? You know, the one thing that I see happening in our church is each week, it's verse-by-verse verse teaching of Scripture. It's the Word of God and the Spirit working through that. And it nourishes people, and people come, and they grow. So that's the vein I want to pray in. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we're just, just so humbled that you look down from heaven and how awesome you are and all that you've created. And here's Emmaus Baptist Church sitting out on Western Avenue in southern Oklahoma City, and you put your hand on us and you bless us. That, that amid all of this that you've created, this little church sitting here is important to you so important to you that you guided us at a time when we desperately needed it and gave us exactly what we needed because it's what you wanted to accomplish here. I thank you for a pastor that I am convinced spends time on his knees asking you what this church needs to hear and to do and that he follows your leadership. And I pray that we will be a congregation, a membership, a, a body of believers who will surround Owen, Amanda, Austin, Bennett, Emery, nurture them, build them up, follow them, support them, and most importantly, just love them in you, that together we might move forward. Uh, we're, we're overwhelmed, um, and we shouldn't be, by what happens through the sharing of your word. And, and it's just amazing for us to sit here and watch you work. And so I know that, that it's been Owen's faithfulness and obedience to you that has, has led to a wonderful time here. And I just ask that you would continue to bless him, to grow him. I'm so grateful for the way that you have equipped him. Um, He's just, he's, a, he's unique in that, and we are so appreciative that you have brought it here uh, to Emmaus, and you've brought it to us in the frame of a humble man who seeks after you, and that's, that's why this all works.
because we want to be submitted to you. So thank you so much for the way you've blessed us. Thank you for this wonderful family. Help us to love them and to grow them and to nurture them. And, uh, and together, Lord, may we just serve and glorify your name and enjoy you forever. And it's in Christ's name that we pray.